This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Canadians have until January 27th to give Ottawa input on how to change the law on medical assistance in dying. I'll talk to Justice Minister David Lametti. And is salt really that bad for us? A new documentary takes a contrary view. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a big question for Zoomers with bad knees. Should I have knee replacement surgery now or should I wait? New research from Northwestern University suggests timing is everything and success hinges on it. The findings say 90% of patients who could benefit wait too long and that delay means the surgery is less effective. And 25% undergo the surgery too soon. That means the benefit may be minimal and the patient may need another knee replacement down the road. In Canada, it's the second most common surgery with over 70,000 performed each year. It's now confirmed by science. Music evokes 13 key emotions. A recent study surveyed people in the U.S. and China about their emotional responses to thousands of songs from all genres, rock, classical, jazz, and more. Based on research, they were able to map out at least 13 overarching feelings, including joy, beauty, relaxation, sadness, anxiety, and more. Almost half a million took part in the fourth round of demonstrations as pension protests continue across France. Talks between unions and the government fell apart over plans to overhaul the pension system in a way that would require people to work until the age of 64 in order to receive their full pensions. Agnes Coletti of Hungary who at the 1952 Helsinki and 1956 Melbourne Games won 10 Olympic medals. The oldest living Olympic champion turned 99 this week, and most still have a hard time keeping up with the energetic Agnes Coletti of Hungary. The Holocaust survivor won 10 Olympic medals in gymnastics in 1952, and again four years later. She doesn't like to talk about her tragic past, losing most of her family in the Holocaust, She says the future is what's beautiful. It might be your basic instinct to think it wasn't the real Sharon Stone, but it was. The 61-year-old actress was suspended from the online dating app Bumble after users complained it must be a fake account. But the actress shot back on Twitter confirming it was her using the matchmaking app. The company apologized and wished her luck in finding her special someone. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I have planned a medically assisted death on November 1st in my home here in Halifax. 
I have stage 4 metastatic breast cancer, but I also have cancer on the lining of my brain. And because of that, I'm very afraid that I will lose my candidacy for medical assistance in dying. If the government would amend the law and just say, let's give people in Audrey's category, we are not vulnerable, we are not going to change our minds, we're already dying. Just let us die peacefully. That's the late Audrey Parker. She had an assisted death earlier than she wanted to because she was afraid of losing her capacity to consent immediately before the procedure. That is a current requirement. Her case inspired one of the proposed changes to the law. We now have until January 27th to tell the government what we think through an online questionnaire. And the government also has a tight deadline, March 11th. That's when a Quebec court decision will take effect, striking down the provision that in order to qualify the patient's death must be reasonably foreseeable. I broached these difficult issues with Justice Minister David Lametti. What we are doing now is seeing if there's any points of consensus that we might, in responding to the Quebec Superior Court, add now in order to reduce the suffering that people might be going through. And so the questions as framed are really pointed to things that we have heard on the ground as, as being areas of potential uh, consensus already. Can you just go over the three major areas? Should someone whose only existing health condition is a mental health condition be able to avail themselves? Should a minor who is 16 or 17 uh, or 14, for that matter, uh, be able to have medical assistance in dying if they're otherwise eligible in other aspects to determine their their own medical care? And should advanced uh, directives of all kinds be accepted? Should should someone just be able to set out a set of criteria, even if they're in perfectly perfectly good health, say, you know, if this ever happened to me, if I ever reached this stage, then I would I would want someone to to procure medical assistance and dying for me. Of those three, do you think that there is any one or two that there might be an early consensus on? We have in our questionnaire, as you've seen, asked some questions about advanced directives. Uh, and those two specific subsets, uh, uh, specific examples. The one is the case where someone would have fit the already existing criteria and were approved, evaluated and approved for being eligible for MAID, but then because their condition changed, they would no longer be able to give that final consent. Their mental health, their, their mental capacity changed. The so-called Audrey Parker case, so that's a, a kind of advanced uh, directive uh, fitting in, a, in, in an end-of-life scenario. The second is uh, if someone has a disease where we, we know the prognosis, uh, you, know, something like, uh, you know, something like Alzheimer's, uh, patients will reach certain stages. Is it acceptable to, to Canadians that someone could set out in a directive, okay, when I reach this stage or when I reach that stage, uh, and I no longer have have this capacity or that capacity. Could I then have made? So we're really just trying to sound people out to see whether they uh, are comfortable with that, whether the, the vast majority of Canadians are comfortable with that scenario. There's more of a body of experience now, and uh, so maybe there. Uh, but again, I, I let's let's wait and see what Canadians tell us. Some of the questions that you have there relate to increased 
training or uh, additional consultations for people or even a voluntary consultation with families. Is that a practical suggestion, given that in a lot of places it's actually already hard to find people who will perform the procedure? We're always looking to, to strike a balance. We are talking about people who are suffering, people in a great deal of pain. We're talking about other parts of the population that feel that they're vulnerable uh, as a result of this legislation and so fear it uh, in, in, in a very particular way. And then we have, we have of course, metal, medical practitioners and providers who would like as much clarity as possible. So we're, all, we're trying to strike a number of different balances there. One other question, and this regards to religious institutions that get public funding but refuse to provide this procedure. Uh, is there any thought uh, of addressing that? Well, that's uh, that's certainly something that is coming up. Uh, it is that is is mainly a, a matter of uh, of provincial jurisdiction, but it is it is a, a question that I will access to to services is always a question that I will raise with my uh, provincial counterparts. Some people have uh, criticized you. They say two weeks isn't enough to get all these responses. Yes, there's a, a short deadline for this part of it. But that's because of a deadline given to us by the Quebec Superior Court to fix a couple of specific things. But the, there is the larger uh, process that was going to begin this summer, and we will continue with that as we planned. The Quebec Court's ruling comes into effect on March the 11th. If nothing changes before then, what does that mean? Well, if nothing were to change, it would mean that the, that, uh, the legislation would not be enforced in Quebec uh, but it would be enforced in the rest of Canada. That's never a good scenario uh, in the sense that you want Canadians to have uh, have similar rights uh, of things within federal jurisdictions, such as the criminal code, in this case, uh, across Canada. Hopefully, we, we won't get there. Uh, we do hope to have uh, a bill in front of the House of Commons in short order uh, once we return, and then, and then we'll see what, what happens. Uh, we haven't ruled out the possibility of asking the Quebec Superior Court for an extension, but we'll we'll see what the what the general reception is of the of the draft legislation once we table it. Is there any chance you could pass it with royal assent before March the eleventh? Uh, if everybody agreed to it, uh, now that would be an ideal scenario. But let's see where the the consensus lies. And uh, assuming that doesn't happen, does that mean it's kind of a free for all in Quebec? Well, I, as I said, I think I think we ha- we haven't ruled out the possibility of asking for an extension. There's been a great deal of practice on the ground, so a lot of experience on the ground already. And I hope that even if if we reach that point, it won't be a disastrous situation. Uh, and and hopefully, we'll have our legislation passed soon after that. In any event, anything else you want to tell us about this process? Well, again, we're inviting Canadians to participate. Uh, we think we think the the attitude has has uh, shifted since people have become accustomed to the practice uh, and have seen have seen some of the positive benefits of the practice. We want people uh, to be able to live well, uh, and and we want people uh, to be able uh, to to ha- exercise as much control as possible uh, over their end of life decisions. Minister David Lametti, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was Justice Minister David Lametti. You can find the questionnaire by going to carp.ca and clicking on the Advocacy News tab. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. (laughs) 
decades, salt has been considered the culprit of many nutritional woes, and we've been urged to cut our consumption to almost nothing. Recent research has challenged that view, and now a new documentary, Pass the Salt, rethinks the conventional wisdom. I sat down with filmmaker Michael McNamara. In the 50 years, I guess, since since all of this began, uh, it's become kind of one of the most vilified, you know, the uh, condiments on, on our shelves. And and, uh, and there's a real concern about uh, um, uh, the danger, uh, specifically around heart disease, uh, high blood pressure. Salt continues to be a bone of contention. Uh, the best minds in the world about nutri- nutrition cannot agree about it. But we need salt. Absolutely. We need salt. Salt is a, uh, uh, essentially, it's an electrolyte, which anybody who watches sports will, will, will recognize that, that term with Gatorade being poured on people's heads and so on. It's packed with salt. The salt is essentially, uh, when it gets dissolved into, in fluids, in our, in our case in the blood, it actually releases an electric charge. And that charge goes everywhere in the body. Uh, it activates the brain. It activates the, the muscles, the nerve, nerve endings. And without it, uh, we would just, collapse. Uh, And in fact, this is what happens to marathon runners who have been losing a lot of water, losing a lot of salt, and they replace the water when they're drinking and they're running. But if they don't replace the salt, they they actually do pass out and collapse. And there have been cases of uh, runners in the marathon, the Boston Marathon dying. So it's important to maintain a kind of a balance. And actually, one of the things we found out when we were researching this is it's specifically important for seniors because uh, there's this whole notion about uh, balance and so on. Uh, become much more critical when you've got somebody taking water pills, for instance, or you're taking uh, uh, um, or having other sort of heart issues. And we were talking to a doctor who told us that uh, um, his his senior patients sometimes pay too much attention to him, and they and they really really cut all the salt out of their diets, and that can be a problem as well. It's interesting in the film. Someone pointed out that out of everything that can be bad for you, there's fat. There's sugar, mm-hmm. and actually there's been some recent books on the combo of, of salt, fat, and sugar, right. which uh, makes us crave junk food and, and eat too much. The The point was that out of all those things, salt is the easiest thing to cut out. No, I'm not sure I agree with that, but yeah. is that what happened? Yeah, and it's true. And, and the thing is, I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, I mean, there there is no minimum daily requirement of chocolate. <laughs> there's, there's no minimum daily requirement of nicotine or tobacco, but there is of salt. And it's an essential ingredient. And so how the, much? Well, this, yeah, that's the question. And um, the thing is that there's been these ever-lowering targets. When all of this started back in the late 70s, early 80s, they were suggesting that we should go down to around 3 grams or 3,000 milligrams, which is around a teaspoon. And what's been happening is uh, with every passing year, new recommendations have come up, and I'm sure we've all seen this, where they're down to 1,500 milligrams is what the World Health Organization says and the and American Heart Association. So how is, much is that? About a half a teaspoon. And, and you know, that's, I mean, um, you know, you, a little pinch of salt can go a long way, but There have been studies. There was a study done with the PHRI in Hamilton, which is a big organization that does international sort of studies looking at all types of issues around health. And they studied, I think it was like 100,000 people across a number of countries around the world. And they followed them for eight years looking for connections between sodium intake and heart disease. And they didn't find any, none, except for uh, if you went above five grams of, of sodium, which is uh, mostly around China, Korea, those are places where they do have higher incidences of, of, of heart disease and they do eat a lot of salt. In Canada, our average is somewhere between 3,500 milligrams and 
5,000 milligrams, which Again, is... Again, in teaspoons? Yeah, in teaspoons, about two, two, two teaspoons, two and a half teaspoons. The big problem is with processed food. Hmm. And I know that one of the things I check in the supermarket, whether I'm buying tomatoes or box broth, is the sodium level on it. And some of it is, it's crazy. The thing is, salt has always been our most important preservative. I mean, you know, long before we had refrigerators and so on, salt was a, a very important pr- preservative, and you see it in a lot of different types of cuisine. Montreal smoked meat, for instance. You know, it's got that's that's what it's that's what it's known for. But even in trace amounts, it'll be in there to as a preservative, but it will also be there to preserve color or to add texture. Um, there's a lot of other reasons to use salt, and certainly they've been trying to get industry to cut back on putting salt in, in in processed foods. And they're not putting it in there because it's cheaper and easy to do. It's 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 in there usually for a reason. Uh, and a lot Makes of, the stuff taste better. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, vegetables, for instance, like cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, which doesn't taste all that good without, you know, a little dash of lemon and a little dash of salt. You know, it, just, it basically, as you said, it brings out the flavors. It, it, uh, it just does something that just... And, that's the funny thing about salt, too, is just, you know, one little pinch can completely, you know, alter a dish. One pinch too many can render it inedible, right? And that's, that's, that's the, the odd and weird and wonderful thing about salt. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks, Libby. That was filmmaker Michael McNamara. Pass the Salt is produced by Markham Street Films. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.